Hello, and thank you for listening to True Crime Cam. On the episode two weeks ago, a bunch of you commented on Spotify saying that you loved the Let's Not Meet episodes, so this week we're gonna do another one. But real quick, before that, I want to talk about a recent case. If you want to skip that, go around the 6 minute, 30 second mark. So, with this case, I want to talk about the investigation has been going on for several months, but it was recently in the news because someone was finally charged. And I'm sure most of you have heard of this case. On January 6th of this year, a first grade teacher in Richmond, Virginia, was shot by her six-year-old student. Gun violence at schools is always shocking, but this made national headlines immediately because people were in disbelief that a six-year-old could not only access a weapon and bring it to school, but then intentionally shoot their own teacher. When 25-year-old Abby's Werner was shot, the bullet went through her left hand and became lodged into her chest, and doctors believe that because it went through her hand first, it essentially saved her life. And even immediately after this, Abby's first concern was getting her students that witnessed this horrific tragedy to safety, and she did. She was then rushed to the hospital to undergo surgery, and since the incident, she's had at least four surgeries and she was in the hospital for a little less than two weeks. As recently as last week, Abby filed a lawsuit seeking $40 million in damages from school officials. The lawsuit names Newport News School Board and several school district officials, including the former superintendent, who was fired because of this shooting. Abby accuses them of gross negligence for allegedly ignoring multiple warning signs on the day of the shooting that the boy had a gun and was in a violent mood. In the weeks after the shooting, many people spoke out about prior incidents with this specific student, and those incidents revealed that this child really needed help, and there was nothing being done to help him. But then when this lawsuit came out, it gave us a much more detailed version of all of that. So I'm just going to go through some of the incidents that were in the lawsuit and or in the news. Roughly a year ago, this student, quote, strangled and choked his kindergarten teacher. The lawsuit states, quote, All defendants knew that John Doe attacked students and teachers alike, and his motivation to injure was directed towards anyone in his path, both in and out of school, and was not limited to teachers while at the school. So, because of that incident, school officials removed the boy and sent him to another school for the remainder of the year. But, in the fall of 2022, he was allowed to return to Richneck Elementary, and this is when he becomes Abby Zwerner's first grade student. He was also placed on a modified schedule, quote, because he was chasing students around the playground with a belt in an effort to whip them with it, and he was also cursing staff and teachers. Under this schedule, one of the boy's parents was required to accompany him during the day, which is wild that a parent could come to school with him every single day. There was another incident I talked about in a TikTok a while back when this first happened. Several articles mentioned one incident where this six-year-old barricaded everyone in a classroom, including the teacher, and his teacher had to literally yell down the hallway and get other teachers' attention to get everyone out, which just sounds like a terrifying situation for everyone involved. Two days before the shooting, Abby said this student slammed and broke her cell phone, as well as cursed at guidance counselors. And for that, he got a one-day suspension. So he's suspended, and then the very next day, he comes back. And before coming to school that day on January 6th, he somehow gets a hold of his mother's gun. 
His mother purchased this legally and her lawyers claimed that it was in a closet on a shelf in some sort of container that had a lock on it. They said it was secured, but this six-year-old managed to get a hold of this gun. And also this day, his mother or father does not accompany him to school, so he's alone. The first red flag happened at 11.30 a.m. Abby tells an administrator that the child threatened to beat up another student. This six-year-old is not removed and doesn't really get punished at all. He probably just got talked to. An hour later, a different teacher told an administrator that she believed the student had a gun in his pocket and had taken it to recess. The school official that they went to downplayed the situation and said his pockets were too small to fit a gun. They just didn't believe this teacher at all. Half an hour later, a third teacher went to someone in charge, an administrator, and informed them that a child had come to her crying, hysterical, in fear for their life, stating that the six-year-old student had showed this other student a gun at recess and then threatened to shoot him if he told anybody. So that's red flag at least number three. A fourth person on staff then asked the officials if they could search the child because of all these concerns, but the administration tells him, no, do not search him. And then roughly an hour after that, Abby Zwerner is shot and nearly killed by this student. The student just pulled out the gun, aimed it at her, and fired a single time. So it was announced on April 10th that a grand jury indicted the boy's mother. Deja Taylor faces charges of felony child neglect and a misdemeanor count of recklessly leaving a loaded firearm so as to endanger a child. This special grand jury could also indict other school officials if they find that they also committed a crime or were criminally negligent. And a lawyer for this boy's mother, Deja Taylor, says that she will be turning herself in later this week. The maximum amount of prison time she could face is six years in prison. As for the six-year-old boy, he is too young to face charges, and his family said that he has an acute disability and he has been receiving treatment under a court-ordered temporary detention at a medical facility. Abby's Werner is relieved that the mother is facing consequences, but says other people like school officials, need to be held accountable as well. And this special grand jury might make that possible. So that's everything we know about this case so far. Um, let's get into the episode. Okay, this first one is titled, The girl wouldn't stop laughing when she climbed out of the trees and tried to break into my car at 4 a.m. Really long title. Almost a year ago, I was an opener at a resort, clocking in before 5 a.m. each day. The resort is located inside of an affluent neighborhood in a very wealthy town slash suburb. Employees had to park in one of two parking lots at either ends of the property, and the lot I chose was adjacent to a long and windy road outside the resort, which led to the rest of the neighborhood. The road and resort were separated by a short range of brush and trees that no one ever really walked through. I'd arrived one morning per usual and put the car into park with my headlights still on. The lights in the lot weren't ever on in the morning since no one else really showed up before 6am when the sun was out, so it was usually always dark at the start of my walk. Save for security, I was one of the first employees to arrive on the property each morning and was usually completely alone in this parking lot at this time. This morning didn't seem any different. I had my hand literally at my keys, my brain in the process to turn off my car, when I noticed a young girl maybe like 14 or 15 years old, come scampering through the span of trees that separates the resort from the outside road. 
Her body language was the exact definition. Run with quick light steps, especially through fear or excitement. She was directly in front of my car and my headlights illuminated a clear view of her in the pitch black. She looked like she was in high school, had long blonde hair, and was wearing a jacket with pajamas maybe, like she'd just walked out of the house. One thing about her that bothered me was that she wouldn't stop laughing and smiling. I couldn't hear her laughing from outside the car, but she was visually giggling at something I wasn't aware of or could see, and it was so unnatural. She occasionally glanced behind her as if someone was there waiting away from the headlights. She then waved at me like it were a normal gesture at this time and then immediately ran to my passenger side door. This all happened in a matter of seconds and I wasn't really sure what was even happening besides my anxiety spiking. I know I simultaneously yanked the aux from my phone to shut off whatever song I had on while grabbing for the lock button. I remember feeling panic for never remembering if it's up or down to lock when the girl began pulling violently and incessantly on the door handle on the passenger's side. I realized because I didn't turn my car off, it stayed locked. She began pounding on the window and I was screaming at the top of my lungs for her to leave before pressing on my horn. I could see her laughing outside like this was some type of game, as if I were a silly friend not letting her in as a joke. After a few seconds, she stopped the pounding and trying to open my car door. Her face fell flat like I disappointed her, and she started to walk away from the car back the way she came. She waved at me again before squeezing through the trees out of the view of my headlights. The whole encounter confused me almost as much as it scared me. Most people I told the story to chalked it up to her being on drugs, but that narrative hasn't felt right to me despite her behavior. Maybe she was just being an extremely out-of-touch teenager whose parents need a firmer grip on her. My first thought was possibly human trafficking, but I'm not sure that it would fit this scenario as I'm not the most well-versed with the subject. I told someone when I made it to LP, but they didn't seem to care much. I didn't call the police, and I regret that. I'll never get out of my brain, though, how fucking off the feeling was, watching a stranger, seemingly alone, pop out from the trees in the darkness laughing and then try to violently enter your car in an empty parking lot. I do think the possibility of someone else being present the whole time is a lot more scary, and I wonder who else was there and where exactly. This next one is titled, Neighborhood Creep Asks How Much Money For Me. I grew up in a small town and I could walk and play a couple blocks from home, but only with the company of one of my older brothers, and later our family dog, when I was older. He was a super protective Rottweiler mix. I was never allowed to leave the house by myself because my parents didn't want anything happening to me. There was a well-known neighborhood creep, old man probably 60 or so in age, that lived alone in a house on the street adjacent to ours. In the house next to his lived a couple. They were good neighbors and great friends of my parents. Let's call them the Smiths. They were about the same age as my parents and loved children, but they couldn't have any of their own. My parents had seven biological kids and four non-biological kids. I was the youngest. There are a few incidents where I remember running into the neighborhood creep. One being when I was at the corner gas station with one of my brothers, and he came up behind me, smelled my hair, and told my brother I was cute. Another when I was riding with my dad in his truck, and the guy flagged down my dad and asked him if I was his wife. I was 10 at the time. He was a major creep, but there is one incident that will always stick with me. Me and my siblings would occasionally go over to the Smith's house because they were really nice, loved us, and would let us swim in their pool. We didn't have one. They would also pay us for doing small odd jobs. They sometimes would watch me for my parents, as most of my siblings were teenagers with a lot of extracurricular activities. 
One day, my brother and I went over to the Smith's house. My brother was in charge of watching me that day, and Mr. Smith offered my brother some money to help him move some stuff out of the front of their house for a yard sale and to help him sell things. While the yard sale was going on, I was sitting on their front porch playing with my Barbie doll. A few people had came and went. My brother and Mr. Smith went inside to go through more stuff to sell. Miss Smith was busy trying to help someone who was buying some things. Then along came neighborhood creep. He looked around a bit, trying to seem interested in buying stuff, and then he came up to me, bent down, touched my hair, and said, how much for you? I was incredibly shy as a child. I would cry if strangers even waved at me. This man literally made me piss myself, and I immediately started crying and screamed repeatedly for my brother. Mr. Smith and my brother came running outside, and all I remember was my brother picking me up and carrying me home, while Mr. Smith tried to figure out what happened. So yeah, neighborhood creep, let's never meet again. This next one is titled, Why I Have a Fear of Windows. I live in a small, small town. You blink and you miss it. The best we can boast about is a single stop sign and a gas station, which we only have because of the nearby highway. Any actual semblance of a town is 25 minutes away, so when things get scary out here, it's amplified. The occasional homeless person is no big deal, they're often drifting through. Drug addicts are rampant and will steal everything they can from your house, but it's the normal out here. However, what happened a few years ago certainly wasn't normal. Originally, I was dead asleep in my bed. I only woke up because it was burning hot in my room, but it was summertime and not much I could do. I just remember tossing and turning until I got a creepy feeling that fell into the pit of my stomach. I glanced over to the bathroom door that was open with the light on. Everything was normal. I left the light on so I wouldn't trip and die if I had to pee in the middle of the night. Next, I glanced at the window directly across from my bed. I had no curtains, but I did have a shitty set of blinds. Part of the blinds are broken from wear and tear, and the crappy AC output beneath it would make them move back and forth, so you'd get a glimpse outside every so often. The yard light was still going, but what made me stop was the outline at my window. The figure of someone was directly at my window, almost like it was waiting for the blinds to move to watch me. I didn't have an imagination as a child. That had been trained out of me. But the sight was enough to pour every horror film into my head at that moment. I squeezed my eyes shut and pulled my blankets over my head and slept in a cloth oven that night. By morning time, the figure was gone. I remember running to my mom's room on the verge of tears in the morning, telling her what happened. She laughed at me like I was an idiot and told me it was probably just a stray cat that had climbed up there for one odd reason or another. I almost believed her since my window was pretty high off the ground, but something didn't sit right. Later that day when we were doing yard work, I glanced over at my window and saw one of our metal patio chairs had been pushed up to it. I pointed it out to my mom, who proceeded to chew me out. Quote, that's how the cat probably got up there, moron. Stop leaving furniture everywhere. But I hadn't moved it. It was heavy enough that I struggled with it. So we moved it back, and so began a pattern. At night, I'd see the figure, complain to my mom, and we'd find a chair moved back every single morning. This went on for a few weeks. My mother stopped caring about my concerns until one morning we saw where the outside screen of my window had been sliced open. I still remember her shaking her head and complaining about those damn stray cats that we had still yet to see. I could tell she was unnerved by that development. I couldn't handle it anymore and I opted to sleep in our living room that night. The only problem was our kitchen and living room connected, which meant there were always several windows. The first night of my move went well despite my back hurting from the couch. I avoided my room like the plague. 
It wasn't until about four days later we ran into an issue. I woke up and glanced at the clock above the fireplace. It read a little past 3am. I couldn't realize why I'd woken up until it happened again. There was a beam of light shining in front of the kitchen window, almost like someone was shining a flashlight in. I saw it trace along the walls and land on the love seat across from the couch I was on. I was mortified. When I told my mom, she continued to laugh at me. I gave in and decided I would sleep in my dad's room, even though it had a gigantic window. He slept in the recliner with a huge TV, so I felt more safe having someone around. The yard light was directly outside the window anyways. It seemed foolproof. That was until I woke up out of a habitual fear and watched through the window across from the bed. Everything seemed normal as time drug on and I felt like a moron. Maybe my mom was right. That was until I saw a lone figure come out of the woods by the backyard shed, walk directly under the light, and head to the patio furniture, like he'd been here plenty of times before. I still remember the large build the man had, and the confidence like he was the one who lived here and wasn't creeping around my yard in the dead of night. I just remember listening to the TV until I fell asleep again, hoping to get another glimpse. My dad would have been pissed off if I had woken him up. He was grumpy on a good day and terrifying on a bad day. I didn't feel like risking it unless I had solid proof because I was scared. The next morning, my mom chewed me out again for the patio furniture, which was routine, almost a month later. But this time, something new happened. She demanded I stopped playing in the toolboxes in the garage. A bunch of tools had been taken out and left on her doorstep. Screwdrivers, a large hammer, flashlights, etc. It wasn't me. I begged with my mom one night and pleaded with her, just stay up with me one night. We couldn't close our garage because it was an open carport, and I wasn't going to get my ass beaten for touching tools because of someone else. It was driving me mad. Finally, she agreed. That night, we would stay awake in the living room. I finally fell asleep before my mom did, but I remember her waking me up in a panic. She pointed to the window that overlooked into our garage. We could see the top of someone's head as they walked back and forth. There was a sound of someone placing metal tools down on the brick steps, as if they were trying to be quiet but couldn't fully muffle it. She whispered for me to go wake my dad. My dad was angry, having been woken up in the middle of the night by his frantic daughter. He grabbed his pistol and headed out from the back door, towards the front of the house where the garage was located. We heard my dad screaming, and someone dropping tools, then the shot of a gun twice. The frantic footsteps pounding out of the garage felt like they were coming from my chest. My mom peeked out the window and then opened the door, and my dad stumbled in. He had missed both shots, because of his unstable aim, but told us that there was a man crouching at our front door, looking at our door handle. None of us slept that night, and in the morning the law from the closest town arrived. They didn't do much besides ask if anything had been stolen, for a description of the man, and then told us to install cameras. That was it. They said the guy was probably just looking for something easy to steal for quick money. If that had been the case, why hadn't he stolen the tools, the generator, the welder, or broken into any of the vehicles just sitting in the garage? We finally set up hunting trail cameras around the house, but nothing has happened since. Coming home from college for holidays, I still have nightmares about the incident years later when I sleep in my own bed. I don't know what he was looking for or why he did the things he did. Whatever the case may be, man at the window, let's not meet. Okay, this next one is called, Open the Door, Please. Come Out. This story happened a few years ago. I was in my early 20s and was studying in Paris, France. I was going home from uni. I usually took a short bus ride and walk the rest of the way. That day, I felt slightly uncomfortable. I could sense some guy looking intensely at me. I was used to unpleasant, unsolicited gazes, but this time his gaze felt beastly. 
It's hard to explain why, but I felt like a prey being stalked. I decided to get off the bus a few stops early. I wanted to avoid him and didn't want him to see where I usually got off. Like I learned in the movies, I waited until someone else pressed the stop button and waited until the last moment to stand up and leave. I didn't notice him getting off the bus. Just as I was feeling the relief of having escape an uncomfortable situation, I looked over my shoulder and there he was, a few meters behind. I had the distressing feeling his eye had just looked away the moment I turned. I walked into a shop, took my phone, and pretended to be taking a call. When I couldn't see him anymore, I exited and made my way home as fast as I could. I kept looking back in the busy street. I zigzagged, crossed the street at every crossing. Finally, I believed that him getting off at the same stop as me was just a coincidence. When I reached my building, I looked back one last time, and there he was. His alarming gaze on me, smirking. I ran up to my apartment, climbing the stairs four at a time. I reached the top floor, squeezing through my door, locked it, and froze. My intercom was ringing. Don't ask me why I picked it up. I regretted it the moment I did. I could hear the opposite flat intercom ringing as well. He had pressed all the buttons, one by one, hoping someone would open. But now he knew my name. Gabrielle? Oh shit. I felt like a deer in the headlights. Frozen. Open the door, please, said a pleading voice. I just want to talk to you. Somehow I couldn't move or speak. Come to the window, he added. Look at me. You'll see I'm not a bad guy. Something clicked. He wanted to locate my apartment in the building. I was not going to make that mistake. I hung up in shock. I waited by the door without moving for what seemed like hours. When I finally managed to calm myself, I called my long-distance boyfriend. Call the police, he said. Immediately. Why didn't I call the police? I don't know. Today it would have been the first thing I would do. The fear of making a big deal out of something not important, perhaps. What an idiot I was. I called my best friend instead. I didn't want to feel alone. I told her all about it, and after a while, I felt better. Safe. We started laughing. Suddenly, the intercom rang again. Two hours had passed since I'd come home. I answered. Gabrielle, said the voice. Open, please. I still remember the chills I felt. He was still there. He was there all this time. I was silent, petrified. He was silent, but I could sense his trepidation. Gabrielle, let me in. I'm so thirsty, he said. Just give me a glass of water. This broke the tension. I hung up. I curled up in a corner, literally in recovery position, terrified. I waited. I was scared to make a sound. I knew he couldn't hear me from the hall, but I was scared to even breathe. The intercom rang again. And again. I didn't answer this time. I crouched to the sofa and fell asleep in exhaustion. I heard the intercom ring one more time in the middle of the night. I woke up in the morning afraid to leave my apartment. I called my dad, who came to pick me up. There was no one in the hall, but there was a note in my mailbox. Quote, Gabrielle, I'm a nice guy. You should have opened to me. We immediately went to the nearest police station. The police listened and, of course, told me that I should not hesitate to call them. My dad called a locksmith to install a digicode on the building door the same day and wrote a message to each of my neighbors asking to not open the door to anyone they didn't expect. He sat in the cafe in front of my building with two friends every evening for more than a week. I never saw the stalker again. After this episode, I used a different route to and from uni every day. I kept my phone tightly in my hand and looked back every few meters. Today, I'm still very observant of my surroundings. I never answer the door if I'm not expecting someone. So, people, if you ever find yourself in any kind of uncomfortable situation, call the police. Don't be an idiot like me. Be safe, everyone.
This next one is called Missed Being Killed by a Serial Killer. Back in about 2000 or 2001, I was driving by myself from visiting my mom in Colorado back to Arizona. I was in a station wagon and had a desk my mom had given me that was my grandfather's. I've always been scared driving at night that there is someone in my back seat that is going to get me. This might be because of too many scary movies or because my mom's paranoia rubbed off on me. I was in the army and drove back and forth a lot to visit her. She would get mad at me for sleeping at rest stops or gas stations and tell me someone was going to kidnap and kill me. But I just didn't want to be bothered with the hassle and expense of a motel most of the time. So I'm driving an empty stretch of highway late at night with no other cars around. This red truck comes up behind me, flashing his lights and honking his horn at me. I was thinking to myself that there was something wrong with my car, or maybe there was something wrong with the desk and the hatchback, because why else would he be so insistent on me pulling over? So I pull over and get out of my car. I was in my mid-twenties and still a bit naive. As I'm getting out of my car, he's directly behind me and still flashing his lights and honking his horn. I got to about the middle of the car. I planned on going to the back to see what could have been wrong with my car when it hit me. Why is he still honking at me when I'm out of my car? That's odd. That's when I knew something just wasn't right. I jumped back in my car and sped off. The next exit was 45 miles or so away. He followed me the entire time. I take the first exit and go to a crowded grocery store with a laundromat next to it. There was an ambulance parked at the laundromat with its lights flashing and I was next to it. I figured if there was an ambulance, then eventually a police officer should come. The man stayed in his truck in the grocery store parking lot watching me the entire time. I did not want to get out of my car and felt like an idiot if I would have had to tell someone what happened. I waited about an hour and he finally left. After he left, I waited a little longer before continuing my drive back to Arizona. I was paranoid and watching for any red trucks the entire time. Fast forward about five or six years. I'm watching Unsolved Mysteries or some similar type crime show with my hubby at the time. He knew what had happened as we were dating when it happened. And what story pops up? One about a man on the exact stretch of highway with a red truck that used those exact tactics to get a few women to pull over and murder them. I really am glad my gut told me something was wrong and to get back in the car and drive. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I just wanted to give a heads up that I am moving across the country in 16 days, a little more than two weeks, across the country with two cats. It's going to be about three days of driving. My uploading um, and the length of my uploading might not be as great as it usually is because I am the type of person who will freak out when there is any sort of change. So I apologize if my uploading isn't consistent and the length of time isn't the best. It's because I'll be moving, but once I settle in, it's going to be even better than before, so I'm really excited. And maybe I'll share more about that once I get there. Who knows? But anyways, I want to give a shout out to the new Patreon members before I go. Thank you so much to Sydney S., Rin, and Brenna A. Thank you all so much for becoming Patreon members. And again, thank you everyone for listening. Tune in next Thursday, hopefully, for another episode. I have already started the script, so that's good news. It's going to be about a cannibalistic, pedophilic serial killer, and it's one of the most disturbing cases I've researched. So yeah, next week's listen is going to be a tough one. All right, I'm going to go now. I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.